Welcome everyone to Sunday morning program at Great Vow Zen Monastery, February 2024. And we have concluded a weekend retreat on creative process. And even the name is very uh, much intentional. It is not and was not about the creative product, uh, even though we did do some collage, which is a pretty low stakes and accessible medium. And we also did some uh, book binding, very rudimentary book binding, perhaps of collages or some people uh, just made blank books. And you would think, well, what's that got to do with Buddhism or Zen or Dharma embedded in the fabric of the retreat was a fair amount of meditation and practice and here we are in the monastic container and that was and is a support for our practice this weekend. The retreat and the meditation practice of the monastery as well as our active creativity you would think there'd be kind of a tension between those and maybe there was a little bit but mostly they turned out to be mutually supportive and informed each other we found that just like in collage creativity is about putting things together and so we put together this retreat in the monastic container. So I want to talk a little bit about what the retreat entailed, at least from my limited view, and about some of the teachings of creativity and, and the teachings of the Buddha Dharma that emerged from our time together. And this includes what, um, what Hogan Roshi often points to to really test whether something is um, a, a, Buddha, a teaching of the Buddha Dharma are the three seals, uh, the three Dharma seals, suffering, impermanence, and no self. And so indeed those uh, emerged in, in our activity. As well as the importance of not knowing not knowing and and not knowing inviting a sense of childlike wonder and playfulness this is an important element of creativity and hopefully of our zen practice so i guess uh just setting the stage a little bit what are the elements what is the atmosphere that's conducive to creativity? I spoke to quite a few people in the retreat and myself included, many of us have a stash of craft items or art materials that just gathers dust somewhere. We hardly ever give ourselves the time and effort to actually take it out and make art or be creative. And sometimes that's a parallel for our meditation practice too, that we have this aspiration to meditate, but when do we actually get ourselves to the cushion? Life moves really quickly. And so here 
we set aside this time and uh, create an environment for stillness, for meditation, for practice. And our, our silence in meditation and non-doing deeply supported the times that we were in activity. So I want to give props to my co-facilitator, Myoyu. She uh, maintained, really kind of insisted that we don't fill the space too much with too much stuff and, and just really stepping forward and demonstrating her deep faith in, in the Dharma and, and for the Dharma to emerge from our practice. One of my uh, teachers in the uh, mindfulness-based stress reduction um, lineage would often say, it's easy to fill space. It's a lot harder to create space. And so creating that space to allow creativity to emerge, creating that space and trusting each and every one of us in the practice most beautiful demonstration. So we focused when we were in the zendo, maybe on the breath, maybe on body sensation, maybe on sound. Just giving our mind something to focus on when, when what it really has a tendency to do is proliferate thought and uh, reflect what's out there, what we often are swimming around in, so much noise. And we keep a, a schedule together and we keep group agreements together. And this container you could say is um, strict or you could call it structure you know, children really benefit from structure. There's a lot of structure in kindergarten and uh, that somehow makes plenty of room for the fun and creativity of a bunch of kindergartners. So that's a relationship you get to encounter when you're here too, finding the freedom. And we let go of some of these elements that are, that we maybe uh, take refuge here for uh, because life moves so quickly out in the world, the doing, the talking, the curating of ourself, seeking social connection and reassurance. Not, we're not even making eye contact. We're not even chatting in the in-between times. And so we just don't have to spend all that effort with the, how am I doing? How are you doing? How do you think I'm doing? <laughs> what a... What a relief. <laughs> no phones. Some people were brave enough to put their phones in the basket in the, in the office and just, you know, go old-fashioned. No phone. No tech, no internet. This competition for our attention is pretty powerful out there, isn't it? Our attention is monetized. It's a product, even, our attention. And so here we're really insisting on uh, reclaiming that. We're letting go of these distractions from our own 
experience. And, and here we just have an opportunity to notice our, our very own experience, what's happening through our senses, all of them. Here there's really no agenda. And we also are letting go of our idea of a fixed self, whatever those ideas are or are not. I am not an artist. I am not creative. I can't sit in meditation that long. I'm not a quiet person. I'm not motivated to make art right now. None of that stuff matters because we just did all the stuff anyway. And we can then see how insubstantial those thoughts and ideas are about who we think we are. You see it on a small scale and you can apply it everywhere. And we encountered our thinking habits that may have been interfering with our ability to move freely in creativity. We shine the light of awareness on them. So some participants reported a variety of experiences. Just seeing tables and tables full of magazine images that had been torn out and piled on long tables. For some people, it was overwhelming. For some people, it was really joyful. For some people, there was a sense of dauntedness. That first day we all stood in the cafeteria and before we got any direction, oh no, what have I done? <laughs> There's no way I'm gonna be able to do this. Feeling this wish for approval, wishing to do it right, the mind that says, I'm gonna make the world's best collage, it's gonna be amazing. And then how can, can the reality even approach what, what the brilliance was in this mind? Not wanting our product to be seen, wanting it to be seen, comparing, judging, it's all there. And, and we let it arise and bravely look and make room even for this, make space even for this, welcoming if you will, seeing how insubstantial it really is. So what emerges with this willingness to open and see is spaciousness and openness and beginner's mind and childlike wonder and creativity. And we make the space, we quiet down, we invite stillness, the universe flows right in. And what is the source of this? We found that creativity is not just things coming together, but it's also things falling apart. To make a collage out of magazine images, you have to tear an image from its original context. And isn't this just how everything is? Pema Chodron wrote a book called when things fall apart. It was one of the first Dharma books I ever read. It was one of those things where it's like, oh yeah, my life is falling apart right now. What is she, what she's got to say about this? She says, things falling apart is a kind of testing and also a kind of healing. We think that the point is to pass the test or to overcome the problem. But the truth is that things don't really get solved. They come together and they fall apart. Then they come together again and fall apart again. 
It's just like that. The healing comes from letting there be room for all of this to happen. Room for grief, for relief, for misery, for joy. Falling apart, coming together. So collage, like I said, a very low stakes way to really experience that. Take things apart, put things together, things you might not expect, things you might not know why, things you might not have an idea about yet, where we were just kind of holding those decisions, holding those interpretations at bay for just a minute to just allow for something else to occur, to create something new that may not even have a story yet, to pause before committing or judging to just practice keeping ourselves open. And again, this can be applied everywhere. We would watch the relationship to the materials. How greedy do I feel about all the images? That's usually my go-to, is I'm gonna elbow my way into the table and get all the images that I need. When there's just an endless amount of them. Joy, competitiveness, absorption, it's all here. So this playful putting things together, letting things fall apart, and our loosened relationship to what we think things are, I just want to share a piece of art that you may have seen before. And if you have, you know, don't shout it out maybe, but um, it's an example of um, making something new out of something you may have seen already. So what does this look like? For those of you who maybe haven't seen this before, what's it look like? Has everybody seen it before? No? The head of a horned beast. It looks like the head of a horned beast, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell what it's made of? A bicycle seat. Bike seat and handlebars. Yeah. And what kind of simple genius is it to put those two things together to make this whole other thing? This was done by Picasso, by the way. So, um, and yet, it's so simple. Like a child, this, is, this was put together by someone with the mind of a child, I think. That's what we're getting at. We can loosen our insistence on thinking things are one way. We are loosening our relationship to identity or the roles we inhabit or impermanence or permanence. So another beautiful example of art and dharma are the sand mandalas that are part of the Tibetan tradition. And these things take days and days to make, these beautiful, huge, elaborate sand uh, sculptures, colorful on a floor. And the whole point is for it to disappear. And uh, uh, the sand is delivered to a moving body of water, a river. We can loosen our grip on everything, our idea of this is how it is.
So play is a realm in which anything can happen, where we invite a little more flow, a little more movement, a new view. We can be someone else, something else. We can inhabit any role. And Mio, you also kept uh, encouraging us to take up the mind of play, uh, the childlike wonder. Children are naturally creative, and so that means that's a quality that's inherent to us as humans. We may have kind of forgotten how, but we can be reminded and we can return to childlike wonder. And I've been appreciating a book uh, about creativity by a very creative person named Rick Rubin. He's a kind of a famous music producer. And he's done kind of some of these amazing putting together of things you wouldn't have thought, nobody else had thought to put together. So he reinvigorated the career of Johnny Cash uh, by encouraging him to cover songs by bands like Nine Inch Nails and Depeche Mode. And if you've ever heard Johnny Cash singing Nine Inch Nails songs and Depeche Mode songs, they're amazing. So Rick Rubin has a whole chapter on childlike wonder. And he talks about uh, these childlike superpowers that artists can uh, retain, artists being all of us. Childlike superpowers include being in the moment, valuing play above all else, having no regard for consequences. Now, I don't mean, you know, precept type, no regard for consequences. <laughs> but, I mean, there's really no forethought. There's just action in the moment. Being radically honest without consideration. And having the ability to freely move from one emotion to the next without holding on to a story. So I just want to unpack a couple of those. I love the being radically honest without consideration. If you've ever hung out with a toddler, like that's totally the experience. And, um, you know, just some of the stories like, um, I, I just peruse the internet. My friend Stacy, uh, her child is slightly, she's, she's becoming verbal, but she hasn't reached this stage yet. So I just found a couple internet examples of a dad who trimmed down his beard for the first time in weeks, and in the process, his daughter came up to him and said, Dad, now I can see your double chin. <laughs> <laughs> or a five-year-old who said, I like your hair, Mommy, because the white bit looks like Cruella out of 101 Dalmatians. <laughs> Radical honesty. And the, I think also important is that moving from one emotion to the next um, without freely moving from one emotion to the next without holding on to a story. It's said that emotions last maybe a minute and a half. And if they're much longer than that, it's because we're continually thinking a thought that is reactivating that emotion. And um, this is a story from my life. When I worked in a mall, um, it was right next door to this like children's formal wear store. And <laughs> yes, <laughs> well, it was the um, early 90s when I guess children's formal wear <laughs> stores were a thing still. Um, I mean, what a horrible idea. But nevertheless, I mean, inevitably, you would, on the regular, there would be screams and cries and just this wailing. No! I don't 
go in there. <laughs> it was really radically honest. And that child might throw themselves on the ground and, you know, do the whole bit. And then you could see them walking out perfectly fine, ready to play, on to the next thing, even if they were in uncomfortable shoes. Rick Rubin continues, for children, each moment in time is all there is. Each moment in time is all there is. No future, no past. I want it now. I'm hungry. I'm tired. All pure authenticity. The great artists throughout history are the ones able to maintain this childlike enthusiasm and exuberance naturally. So this is another teaching that emerged, this timelessness, this absorption in the process did occur for many people who um, were in the, in the process of creation, blanking out and just not being able to account for the hours we spent. We had three hour block of creativity and for many people it just flew by. Creativity occurs in the moment and in the moment we are timeless. So can you be someone without a past or future? Can you be someone that's not replaying or rehearsing your life? And if we are without a past and a future, how can we have an identity? A little more from this chapter. Accessing childlike spirit in our art and our lives is worth aspiring to. It's simple to do if you haven't accumulated too many fixed habits and thoughts. I read that, I was like, well, I guess it's too late for me. <laughs> a child has no set of premises it relies on to make sense of the world. It may serve you to do the same. Any label you assume before sitting down to create, even one as foundational as sculptor, rapper, author, or entrepreneur, could be doing more harm than good. Strip away the labels. Now how do you see the world? Try to experience everything as if for the first time. If you grew up in a landlocked town that you never left, the first time you traveled and saw the ocean would likely be a dramatic, awe-inspiring experience. And if you spent your whole life living near the ocean, your experience of it would almost certainly be less dramatic. When you see how what's present around you, as if for the first time, you start to realize how astonishing it all is. As artists, we aim to live in a way in which we see the extraordinary hidden in the seemingly mundane. Then challenge ourselves to share what we see in a way that allows others a glimpse of this remarkable beauty. And we could say the same as meditators, as Dharma practitioners, although watch out because there's some more labels. We aim to live in a way in which we see the extraordinary hidden in the seemingly mundane. I mean, just in walking practice and seeing the, the dewdrops on the grass shining, illuminated by the sun. Seemingly mundane, but just Incredible, incredible beauty right there. Can we just experience our life with the senses? 
Can we see how this bamboo floor is alive? Can we see how we are breathing the same breath of people on the other side of the world? Can we see things as new? Can we see and appreciate this, this unrepeatable moment? Can we appreciate this life? So appreciation, like when you go to a museum and appreciate a piece of art. You look, you take the time, and you give it your full attention. And just appreciate what it is. Maybe allow it to touch curiosity or allow it to evoke some kind of emotion or thought or memory and, and live that, be affected by this life. Participating, just like everything is participating. How wonderful to appreciate without an agenda. How wonderful to participate in a way that's not transactional. So much of our life is transactional in this world. So to practice without a focus on a product or on getting something even, that's pretty revolutionary. We practice Zazen in this spirit sometimes. I like the saying, Zazen is good for nothing. <laughs> Zazen, our meditation practice, is good for nothing. What does that mean? It's not a means to an end. It's the end itself. There's not a future. What am I going to get? What's the deal here? I uh, made in the um, initial direction for the collages, um, encouraged people to just be noticing the role of words, using words in the collages, because that can kind of limit things. And then I went and found myself using almost nothing but words, like in my collages. It was really, but what I ended up doing was I had found on, there were a lot of the glossy Buddhist magazines and mindful magazines. And on those covers is kind of the clickbaity, you know, teasers like, you too can have mindful life forever, you know, in these 12 easy steps or, you know, whatever it is. And those just are, to me, are hilarious anyway. So then I put those kinds of phrases against pictures that were quite unlikely and just had a ball with that. But it is, uh, it's, those, those really do, like, of course we think we're going to get something. These magazines are pointing to it, all the images of meditators that are all just blissful on a beach and like, yeah, this is great. I love meditating. And then we get here and it's not that. It does not look like the brochure at all. 
Nothing is wrong when that happens. This is it. Good for nothing. Just here, just this. Practice is this moment. No utility, no value beyond the making, no value beyond the process. And uh, another teacher, Dan uh, Teigen Layton, compares Zazen to performance art, which I thought was brilliant. And I'll just read you a little bit of the context of his uh, teaching on that. Zazen is the physical realm for enacting and expressing the fundamental insight and kindness of Buddha nature, our capacity for awakened awareness. So just sitting, Zazen, is the physical realm for enacting and expressing the fundamental insight and kindness of Buddha nature. Zazen is the posture and attitude in which we actually meet the totality of our true life. I mean, where else would it be? How else could it be somewhere else in some better life when we're improved? Zazen is also a ritual act performed in the religious context of the bodhisattva path, concerned with realizing interconnectedness and supporting the communal aim of reciprocal awakening. That's all of us together. Zazen is thus a kind of performance art a mode of expression that supports and mutually informs all the other particular creative activities in our lives and offers us an entryway into true repose and joy. So we did a little bit of Qigong too, and we called it performance art. And that was really kind of cool to see all of our movement together, everyone being mist rising from a lake or a wild goose. And I have to say though, when I, when I did these Qigong uh, movements with wildland firefighters, they had sound effects for the geese. So, we're casting a rainbow. I like to, to encourage us to do the movements as if we were all a room full of five-year-olds. And it's possible. What was really sweet too was um, I'll sh just here's an example of one of the uh, the, the collages. It's so sweet that we um, also Mew, you made sure that we got to um, repurpose some of these old pieces of paper that were in this building when we arrived in the school building with the like dotted lines and solid lines. Yeah. <laughs> we, so um, this was about the size of some of the collage papers and then we had the option to make it a book. And uh, everybody's um, expression was just so different and so whole and complete, so beautiful. What was really touching was we put them in the uh, cir circular area, in the guest area, and had a little viewing uh, party. And, and just the softening of people's faces and the, the respectful and kind focus that, that people just kind of landed 
one after the other and, and appreciated each other's creations. There was just such joy and tenderness in people's faces when they were viewing. And of course, we could also notice our own identification with our product. Like, oh, are people enjoying my collage? And how is it that we've done this, reified, somehow made this collection of tree pulp and pixels and ink into me? And I now have some need for people to feel some kind of way about that because it's me how, how do we even do that it's incredible how we do that so we get to watch that happen and really see it and we won't maybe get tripped up the next time well probably we will but there'll be a next time to really look at it again and again and there's still it, and even so, we can still honor the courage and vulnerability that doing something, putting it out there, putting ourselves out there, taking a step forward, allowing ourselves to be seen and witnessed. Here we are, all together. Someone pointed out how when their comparing mind came up, I want mine to be better or whatever that means, it just felt so miserable. And, and other people finding the mind of appreciation and noticing how joyful that was. Or feeling a sense of hurry about, I gotta get it done. And then being able to just step back and unilaterally decide, I don't have to hurry. I, I don't have to pressure myself in this. What, a, what freedom. Not knowing what's gonna happen. This is lovely. Something I found helpful was just on occasionally in meditation or in the creative process, just asking myself, am I inhibiting, am I doing, or am I allowing? And that goes for our breath, that goes for our actions in the world. Am I inhibiting, am I, am I doing, or am I allowing? So one thing I maybe, I think I want to close. Am I good on time to close? Okay. Um, something that, an unexpected joy, and it may not come off quite the same way. We'll see. But I just want to invite everyone to do the um, Qigong warm-up uh, sort of tapping practice. You don't have to stand. But we, I'll, I'll, I'll guide us in the little tapping practice. And what I want us all to appreciate is the sound that emerges from that practice. To me, it sounded a little bit like, um, like a rainstorm moving in or something, that it sort of intensified and then calmed down. Um, or maybe it'll just sound like a bunch of human tapping in a room, which is totally fine also but just to awaken our senses together. So maybe starting here and tapping with the fingertips. Notice that there might be some sounds that you notice, that you can hear from the inside. Forehead and the face, gently with the fingertips. 
ears, neck, the shoulders. And I'll try not to tap the microphone too much. And now you can take the hand and pat all the way down the arm. Yeah, listen. Go around. Do a little more firmly in the middle of the body and the legs and the feet. And back up. yourself to feel what's here, this aliveness. Thank you.